Welcome back to the Reading to Rootedness podcast with Father Adam and Emily. And today we do the second part of the introduction. Really, it's just an arbitrary breakdown of it was a lot to read because it's a long introduction. (laughs) So we're just doing the second half of the introduction of Theology of the Body, or maybe more specifically, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. So the three major things he goes into in the second half of the introduction is a closer look at the influences on Karavotiva, based on some of the works he had done in his past, structure of the theology of the body, because it's not so easily discernible, mm-hmm. and people have put it kind of in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit of a look at that, and then finally, what is the main argument? What is the purpose? What is the point of theology of the body? So he goes into that. Great. <laughs> Emily, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so excited to be here in this um, early morning. Yeah, man. I've you chose been, you chose I've the early been, recording. So. I, I did. Yeah, I have actually been looking forward to this because um, unlike the first section, which was pretty intense, I think this section introduces the text itself in mm-hmm. a much more... <laughs> explicit way and and I'm I'm just excited for the text as a whole after reading this part of the introduction. Also though, I am a little disappointed because I I mean the first thing that we read is kind of an overview of St. John Paul II's kind of major works leading up to theology oh, of the no. body. And oh, no. oh man, do I want to read some of these? <laughs> And, like, sources of renewal, the implementation of Second Vatican Council. Yeah, I know. At least when I looked it up, and maybe, you know, we can kind of find a similar thing as person and act online somewhere, but not a great translation or something. I don't know. Like, the Amazon copy was, you know, $200 or something like that. I'm like, no. (laughs) And then I didn't know that there is a, um, there is apparently a sequel to person and act it doesn't sound like it was published though i know and so how will i get this because (laughs) (laughs) it's about catholic social ethics as kind of the necessary and logical continuation of person and act yeah which sounds awesome and or even the continuation of all three of these works right and i i actually went to the bookstore this weekend um, to look at that new copy of Person and Act, oh, yeah. the recent publication of it, because it's Person and Act and other essays, and I got really excited, and I was like, maybe this is why it's so expensive, because it actually includes part of Man on the Field of Responsibility. It does? It does not. Uh, <laughs> Sorry uh, to get your hopes up, but that was that was where I was at. But um, yeah, so all of these sound fantastic. Yeah, we'll have to look into mm-hmm. maybe a way to find it. Uh, like possible. his Lent retreat preached so, to the Vatican. I have that. It's on my shelf. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, yep. so that is actually... that's Yeah, you can find that. Okay. Easy. <laughs> and it's... I've not read all of it, but mm-hmm. I did a class on JP2 in seminary. Oh, nice. Which was great teacher, kind of a whirlwind because we did probably too much. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we had to get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he gave... You give a retreat for students. Um, and now I'm going to blank on what that's called. But that's also really good. Mm-hmm. I got that one too. Well, I remember reading about 
sign of contradiction in the George Weigel book, just because it seemed maybe an indication at that time that the person, the the bishop or the cardinal, I don't know, either um, asked to give that retreat was perhaps on his way to the Vatican itself um, sort of thing. So, well, yeah, I remember that being as kind of a, a big honor. <laughs> probably, it's got to <laughs> And, a, it's and an, an impending sign of Maybe, what was yeah. to come. For. It was 1976, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. two years, yeah. Okay, but anyway, um, we should talk about how some of these major works prior to Theology of the Body kind of are touching on similar themes or preparing, paving the way for uh, Theology of the Body itself. Yep. So, I guess I, I'll start. Okay, I, okay. Ask I, you. Yeah, I, I'll just, I have, I'll a, just I have a point as oh, well. fire away. I then. mean, I don't think he talked too much about the per, uh, person and act because there's so much of that in kind of his refuting Shaler, which we yeah. we have already talked about. Right, but, but I do like I was gonna say the the summary of Shaler, oh, which we struggled maybe to say last time. <laughs> okay, okay. He puts here, yeah, go for that, it, go yeah. for it. So uh, he puts he says Shaler denies three core theses of the personalism implicit implicit in the imitation of Christ. Number one, moral goodness is a real perfection of the person achieved in following Jesus. Number two, the person is a really existing subject and the responsible cause and origin causal sorry the responsible mm-hmm. causal origin of moral acts. And number three, the goal of the imitation of Jesus is the infinite good which consists in God's nature. And then he'll go on to say that number two there, this mm-hmm. personalism that really exists, the person that really exists in the subject and is responsible for moral acts, that one is the catalyst kind of for person and act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense in his continuing on in love and responsibility and theology of the body that the first thing you have to do if his whole point is people should make a gift of themselves is you have to realize, <laughs> first of all, that you are a gift, perhaps the full complexity mystery of what you are, but also that you have the power, the self-possession to give yourself away. And maybe understanding the awe-inspiring act that that is. So, yeah. And then... Person act seems the the core that you kind of need to build upon for any of this to, to really hit the base experience of a person. Yep. And then... If you move, you know, to gift of self, like it takes possession of self, which again kind of comes through person act. Like you have to mm-hmm. know who you are, accept mm-hmm. the responsibility of being a person in mm-hmm. a way. So that you, can... you have to accept that you are the cause of moral acts or not yeah. moral acts. Yeah, <laughs> forming yourself to be something or mm-hmm. deforming yourself, whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that you're capable of the gift. In mm-hmm. a real way, in a committed way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he's going to, of course, mention love and responsibility, mm-hmm. which you read, and connect that with certainly John of the Cross. I mean, it's a deeper exploration of the, the law of the gift that mm-hmm. true love is to yeah, give oneself away and take responsibility for another. 
And so seeing that in John of the Cross, which we talked about last time, mm-hmm. also kind of throws in here. Song of Songs is important, which we'll see in Theology of the Body. I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, he even says in here that it's one of the biggest, most important parts of, of Theology, theology of the Body. Of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's exciting. Or, yeah. Let's find where that mm-hmm. says it. But, but I think one yeah. of the major works that caught my attention the most and he did spend quite a bit of time examining this though is sources of renewal when jp2 is kind of imagining how do we actually implement vatican II, and at least one of the conclusions is that the church needs to grow in awareness and in life as the people of god and while that is a social responsibility, ultimately it has to happen at the level of individual persons. Mm. So once again, we're kind of coming back to, you know, people themselves and how do they see their experience as part of the church and how do you, what do you do to kind of actually help them, you know, see themselves as people of God? So a couple of things that he pulls out there is, Maybe even a correction of some of the, the erroneous ways to, to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're going to connect it to uh, the mission of the persons of the Trinity. So mm-hmm. this necessary connection to the Trinity. as So the people of God being this something that God has formed. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, just this social, just between us kind of thing. But it is a following on. God the Father generally reveals himself. The Son saves this Holy Spirit forms this people, uh, continues that mission of Christ in the world. So that's not to be lost. But also then we also see the sign of the gift there, or the law of the gift there, because God has given himself to us to make us into something mm. greater than we could be on our own. Mm. But yeah, then, so, here, go ahead. yeah, at the heart of that is the recognition that, once again, God moves first, that I mean, isn't his general point that we must grow in faith or, or like kind of faith is the key to all of this? Um, yes. And yep. 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 while faith must be enriched by personal experience, and I think that is also kind of a general point that, you know, you can't have this faith that doesn't actually extend into the way you understand the world mm-hmm. or the way you experience the world. Still, at the core, it's not your experience that is determining the world. It is, what does he say? I like how he says it. Faith in complete nakedness, austerity, and obedience of the intellect first. (laughs) And then it's enriched by your experiences and by the lived out aspect of faith. (laughs) Yeah. So both of those things are necessary, but faith is the core and that is a theological virtue. You know, that is that is something God moves yep. first. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and maybe that kind of being another error of the era, mm-hmm. this experience first, but he maybe kind of trying to purify that, that yes, personal experience matters, as you said, but mm-hmm. faith is that point of contact with God. And then faith ought to inform our experience and kind of lead mm-hmm. to a, or be the framework the context, the 
interpretive key for our experience in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I'll say that uh, a living faith deeply transforms human experience by introducing the person to a path of union with God. So faith as means to union with God, and I think union God with God is, is also love. So faith, or maybe yeah, you know, knowing leads to loving, which leads to desire for more knowing. Which, okay. Leads to more love. <laughs> faith is kind of that. Knowing God leads us to love God, ultimately to union with God. And we know in heaven there won't be any faith because it'll just be knowing. But there will be love, so that faith leads us to union. Mm. But he and so he's leaning on John of the Cross heavily here, right? And his like first dissertation too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, faith, which is maybe I want to spend more time thinking about that because it's profound and faith. Today, we just seem to reduce to just like, oh, it's boring doctrines. You just like, as soon as you know the creed, like, cool, move on. I know. Where's the more exciting stuff? Right. And but here how- it's like, faith is the point of contact. Like, right. this is how we have contact with God that leads to true union with him. Mm-hmm. So if you downplay faith, you're going to miss, like, the real possibility of union with God. Granted, again, it's still got it acting first, but. Right. But even just, you know, how often do we do we pray for faith? As yeah something that we wholeheartedly desire and and want to experience. Yeah. Right, right. right it right. is interesting. So so maybe yeah. a summation of that is faith must penetrate and transform human experience. It must be received and enriched in the lived experience of personal subjectivity. Yeah, so as the world is kind of turning inwards as the guide to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. JP2 is reminding everybody that, yeah, you can't get rid of the person and the individual experience. And in fact, I think your understanding of the person is lacking. <laughs> yep. But at the same time, if that is not um, tied to God himself, to some sort of objective standard that exists in you and exists in the world, then you're actually kind of building your entire moral ethic upon sand. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, faith seems to be the key here. <laughs> yeah. And that that deserves more reflection and thought. And I think we'll see that in Theology of the Body with oh, yes. his yes. beginning with scripture, as you can do a lot of scripture, mm-hmm. as that here is what's revealed to us, an mm-hmm. article of faith, which then informs our experience of mm-hmm. union with God, God speaking to God in prayer, even and then, of course, human love. Mm-hmm. So he'll kind of play that principle out for us, I think, in Theology of the Body. Mm-hmm. Here's the faith. It informs our experience, helps us to understand our experience, and leads us to a deeper appreciation and even maybe more profound living of it because mm-hmm. it's connected to this truth of God. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly. Another kind of realization I had in reading this was, of course, faith needs to have that personal element to it because faith at its heart is a person, Jesus Christ, like an actual person (laughs) who you should be interacting with as a person. Mm -hmm. And he does the same to us. And so, yeah, you you couldn't imagine faith as some sort of experience that doesn't include yourself and even religion i remember we read um 
<clears throat> it is right and just by Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. And he speaks about religion as a virtue, but religion as like a, a true understanding of religion is relationship. You have a relationship mm-hmm. with the divine. Mm-hmm. So to think of religion just as like articles of belief or whatever is to miss it. But religion as relationship. Yeah. And faith, right, is the content of your faith is a person. Right. And right. so there's a relationship there, I think. And yeah. I, I think that's something that we tend to miss yeah. in imagining faith is just kind of Yeah, I I believe in all of these doctrines. I'm good. <laughs> right. Yeah. I believe these things. Covered. Right. And he'll yeah. He's yeah. At some where in your points mm. too. It does have to actually break into your life and affect the way you mm-hmm. act. But but yeah. even just yeah, this this point alone of faith is more than the content of what you hold to be true. Mm. And so, then, so, yeah. before you move on, maybe, mm-hmm. how great is Redemptor Hominis 10 on page 86? Just that little paragraph. Yes. Wow. 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 Should we, we, should, we should read that for, <laughs> for all of the listeners, because it's just, or at least the first part, because oh, it's yeah. great. Yeah, <clears throat> okay, go for it. Oh. <laughs> Man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless. If love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. This, as has already been said, is why Christ the Redeemer fully reveals man to himself. The man who wishes to understand himself thoroughly and not just in accordance with immediate, partial, often superficial, and even illusory 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 standards and measures of his being he must with his unrest uncertainty and even his weakness and sinfulness with his life and death draw near to christ he must so to speak enter into him with all his own self he must appropriate and assimilate the whole of the reality of the incarnation and redemption in order to find himself boom (laughs) but you can see That, like, captures, or at least, you know, points to person and act. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you do this if you don't understand what it means mm-hmm. to be a person? Mm-hmm. And then, of course... To enter into something with your whole self. Yeah. Like, what? how do you do, do you that? Know? And what does it mean? What is your whole self? Right. And then love, of course. Like, what does it mean? What is true love, which you guys that? Love mm-hmm. and responsibility, theology of the body. And then, yeah, what the introduction will now get to, I think, pretty soon, is that love is a bodily thing connected with the incarnation, which he mm-hmm. mentions here. And Christ reveals man to himself. Mm. And so it's like everything mm. that seems like all of JP2's mm. stuff is just like right here yeah. in this one paragraph. He's hinting at all these things that he spent his entire life praying and thinking about. I read something yesterday and I cannot remember what it was, but it was just... Something along the lines of there is no longer anything small or unnecessary or something like that because of the incarnation. Mm. Because of Jesus entering into our reality, nothing about this world, nothing about ourselves is inconsequential anymore. Yeah. Like it's all a part of salvation and our redemption. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's so cool, including our bodies. (laughs) Right. And, like, really including our bodies. Yeah. Because we are mm. embodied. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in Sources of Renewal, 
which once again, I want to read this, I want to understand this. He kind of lays out maybe some helpful things to think about in how we enrich faith, not just kind of like the intellectual aspect of faith, um, but also calls it the believer's attitude. So I did not spend too much time kind of on this section where he outlines, you know, how do we help the people of God think of themselves as the mm -hmm. people of God. But I would really just like to read the thing itself. And <laughs> also because it's Vatican II and we read all of Vatican II. Yeah. So, so I would love to. And that was, I mean, as we said at the beginning, mm -hmm. sorry, kind of reason mm -hmm. for engaging with these things because mm -hmm. we are the generation still who is bringing it about. Right. And I, and I think there is maybe this settling in the Catholic community today that we think we understand theology of the body. We think it has permeated our education and our culture well enough that almost, yeah, like, why, why would you need to read that? Like, we know that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, like so. the Gospels. <laughs> I'm so familiar, we don't read them anymore. <laughs> Unleash the Gospel, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think it is important to go back to the sources themselves yes. and yes, yes. make sure that we're not just relying on kind of a general attitude of we're doing this, but are we actually doing this as individuals? How are we implementing Vatican II in our lives? Yeah. So, yes, this all has to do with it. <laughs> okay, so should are we good to move on to the purpose of theology? Of the I think itself? so. Okay. Maybe... Wait, does he speak about the structure second after that? Maybe he does. Yes, the okay, structure okay. comes afterwards. Very yeah. good. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll intro. <laughs> uh, he puts... <clears throat> Waldstein puts this into three sections, or at least for the purpose he lays out. One, number one, the beginning. The beginning. So, relying on things that he's read, but focusing on the lived experience of personal subjectivity... Love is a gift of self. Spousal love is a paradigmatic, paradigmatic gift of self. The Trinity is the archetype of such a gift. So, just kind of drawing on his work of philosophy, his time in, in Vatican II, his time maybe working with students and young people figuring out love, then he's going to, and that's, yeah, maybe less, less specific than I thought it was. But uh, number two, <laughs> the challenge. And here he goes, the challenge of, the move of modernity, mm -hmm. Descartes, Kant, Shaler, and this, yes, personalism, but they provo pro provide a very distorted personalism. So like Kant's personalism glorifies the autonomy of the individual person as the only true value to which everything else must be subordinated. And uh, we see also that matter is evil in, or I guess he's, okay, he's speaking of the ancient Gnostics. But moving forward, they see matter as evil. Yet the truly bottomless pit is opened only by the Cartesian universe with its complete indifference to meaning. Mm. Matter is, quote, mere matter, sheer externality. It is value-free. So you see this wild rupture between mm -hmm. kind of the soul and the body, between mm -hmm. spirit and matter, between just this radically autonomous person mm -hmm. and everything else and kind of everything else beside the person. 
has no meaning. So we're going to、mm-hmm. throw out the formal cause and the final cause, as Aristotelian causes, this old ancient understanding of causes.、Mm-hmm. Throw those out entirely. So matter is just meaningless thing to be kind of manipulated, as we will. Or it's just bad, like Kant's, like. All it is is a means for us to use each other, and it's bad, but we're kind of、mm. stuck with it. Okay.、Mm. Yeah. Thinking about this perhaps more deeply, like if you, if you get rid of any sort of understanding of form or final cause in a human being themselves or human nature itself or whatever,、mm-hmm. you're kind of left with this slippery, ungraspable inner core of yourself, which Is hard to base anything on. Like, even the most self aware, self possessed person <laughs> is probably going to be trying to build the whole world around them and meaning into the world around them based on something that's really hard to kind of hold. Yeah. And, and how would you do that? And, yeah, and yeah. I mean, how much stress it puts it, it, it puts it on students today when you're like, Just do what you love. Like,、yeah. <laughs> or, like, who, you know, you know who you are. Do I? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> If I'm just supposed to kind of like look inside myself and know,、uh, that's really hard because、right. there's all these things happening inside me. And for me to try and, I don't know, put a name to it or, or take out meaning from it. Would be chaotic. Yeah. At best. And you probably have just the recognition that the meaning that I'm choosing、mm-hmm. based on, I don't know, this thing I want to do or the feelings that I'm having, whatever、mm-hmm. it is based on, is pretty inconsequential or just like doesn't have any weight to it because tomorrow I could change it. Right. And the only one who's really propping this meaning up is me. Right. And today I'm kind of sad and tired and like, <laughs> I don't know. I like, don't have the motivation. Yeah, this,、mm-hmm. sa- probably this sad recognition that, well, it's nice, but as soon as I'm gone, the meaning's gone because the meaning is only housed inside of me、mm-hmm. and it's not out there. And like, you know, we can have dreams of leaving our impact on the world, but. Right. But it's got to, it's this it's, frustration of right. Especially if that meaning is contradictory to your body itself. And you can't figure out how to get your body. I mean, if, if this is true, then you should just be able to kind of command that this is reality now and my body must submit to this、yeah. because the only thing that matters is me. Yeah. You, well, know, you could, so. As a concept. And so, so、yeah. that could be really disheartening as well when you're like, okay, I've decided this, this is what it is. But you're not paying attention to the form of your body itself and the natural <laughs>、yeah. um, sort of thread of meaning in that. And you're just, yeah,、right. then you're working against something. Yeah, and you don't know、mm-hmm. it. I mean, you, the other way you could take it is kind of the Kantian way, which I'm no expert in Kant, but of more kind of strict rationalism. So he would say, like, duty is so important. So maybe. You can recognize, like he would say, it's don't follow your feelings and just kind of make it up. But like there's this duty thing and you got to do that. It's kind of suppressing that maybe emotional side of the person. So I guess, yeah, if you 
take out the person from the body and the material world. I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, you kind of left it either just going totally rationalistic. Well, I guess you could do middle way, totally rationalistic, totally emotive, just follow your whims and fancies, or maybe find a balance. But still, all of it still leads to that problem of the heck is my body about? Why? Why am I attracted to a person of the opposite sex? Why do I want to go play soccer? Mm-hmm. I don't like these are like really weird things or just even tiredness and hunger. And this right. just like your body and all that just would seem like a burden mm-hmm. or maybe just a, a vehicle for our pleasure. I don't know. But mm-hmm. like it's got this weird right. thing going on that mm-hmm. then you, you just kind of in some way maybe. Yeah, you're picking. What is it? I would just find that really frustrating. Right. And that's why today's society, you can't get mad at anybody. You have to, <laughs> maybe that's too strong or not the right logical conclusion. But yeah, because how could the, you possibly. The whole culture seems yeah. to exist to make people feel better about themselves because perhaps what they want the world to mean, it doesn't actually mean. And you're kind of stuck in this sort of, well, then. What is there? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, all of this is kind of the challenge. The challenge. That theology of the body is responding to, is yep. giving a, is is proposing a better way to understand yeah. the body and the world. So slight aside point mm. is like this shows, and maybe when you study philosophy, it shows that ideas matter, that, you know, random philosopher from the mid 1500s or late 1500s whenever he was writing Mm. affects a lot of people Mm -hmm. for generations Mm -hmm. and it's kind of terrifying how some ideas can royally screw up human life if Mm -hmm. we get the wrong ideas and just the simple fact that i think most young people don't know and as you learn more you realize that the way we think is not just the way all people think or have thought, mm-hmm. but we're actually pretty influenced by the philosophies of our culture and these thinkers who came before us. It's actually kind of surprising and terrifying in some way that mm-hmm. those things are so in the culture and in the way that our parents think and everyone around us thinks that we think that way. And it's not just like pure reason, but it's actually worldviews that we've adopted that have kind of developed over hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think how many like superhero videos, movies are, I mean, the key to their success is understanding who they are, finding out who they are. mm. It's all internal. (laughs) Mm. So, So it would be scary to kind of evaluate how many things in the culture, even things that I think we would all kind of celebrate as good creative endeavors are suffused with this oh, for sure. philosophy. Yeah. And yeah. And I wonder what that how that process came about and that you know, was it shocking to people at first this differing worldview as opposed to we don't even recognize this philosophy anymore because it's just yeah. so permeated <laughs> yeah. the culture. Yeah, it's yeah, ideas matter. 
Yeah. That's a good point. And it's like even hard to to pick a specific topic. Hard to argue against transgenderism when you're so far and you're so steeped in this dualism Mm -hmm. that yeah, like the arguments against it are hard because we've kind of already adopted this Mm -hmm. understanding of radical individual autonomy, distinction between body and person. And so we can maybe point to science and say like, well, it's got some bad effects or these people are depressed and that's why we shouldn't do it. But these are kind of downstream of the more important thing of mm-hmm. now we're, we're body soul composites. We're not the ghost trapped in the shell and the shell might not be what we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know. So we're way downstream. We're so immersed in this dualism mm-hmm. and radical autonomous personalism mm-hmm. that these things are happening in most people kind of go along with it because it's just like, yeah, that makes sense. That like logically follows from like where we are. and Right. There's kind of a base standard that society is at right now that if you even try to question that, then that just throws everything into kind of chaos because most of society has kind of agreed on that without thinking too hard about it. But I would say it's kind of, yeah, this is, that is where we're building from. Yeah. And so to go deeper than that is to kind of jeopardize well, the whole system. <laughs> and people don't understand you. You start talking about natures and things mm. and it's like, what is, no. Like, mm-hmm. It's not in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It's not in our, whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> tangents. Tangents. Okay. So, yes. As you might imagine, St. John Paul II is offering a different understanding of the body based in theology. An understanding of the body that doesn't have to do violence to nature or to the person to find meaning. So here's a answer that John Paul II gives, maybe to this dualism, Mm -hmm. in his letter to the families. It is typical of rationalism to make a radical contrast in man between spirit and body, between body and spirit. But man is a person in the unity of his body and his spirit. The body can never be reduced to mere matter. It is a spiritualized body. Just as man's spirit is so closely united to the body that he can be described as an embodied spirit. The richest source for knowledge of the body is the word made flesh. Christ reveals man to himself. And then our, so that's JP2, and then the Waldstein is going to say, put negatively, John Paul II's response to Descartes is, the body can never be reduced reduced to mere matter put positively the response is the richest source of knowledge of the body is the word made flesh mm. so so we're gonna can't pull them apart and christ is the way to right. positively understand what we are mm. and this will be kind of the joy of reading theology of the body as opposed to person act and love and responsibility where mm-hmm. we've kind of started from either philosophy or even somewhat like psychology and yeah, right. <laughs> those sorts of things. Now we are centering first and foremost in Christ, in Christ's words, and then kind of drawing meaning from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, yeah, this is kind of exciting because this is going to be, even though that the understanding of the body is going to match up with sort of the conclusions that he draws from person and act oh, yeah. and love and mm-hmm. responsibility. 
we are starting from faith from Christ himself, which is exciting. So. Yeah. And we see where, I mean, philosophy and some of those things, psychology, mm-hmm. even kind of biology, which talks about here, is like a foundation, but it can only go so far. Mm-hmm. But faith in what God has revealed to us can take us so much farther. And then mm-hmm. again, kind of going back to the point, it can bring us to union with God actually mm-hmm. and help us to live more fully as we ought to be, mm-hmm. especially in like the areas that we want to, like love, especially, mm-hmm. and just living in community with others. Mm-hmm. So not only is it going to resonate, it's going to like take us higher, right? Like, bring us up to mm-hmm. what the human person is capable of. Mm-hmm. And again, that kind of finding union with God through faith built mm-hmm. on this reason. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, I feel like the general perhaps purpose of theology of the body is your body is deeply meaningful. (laughs) Within you is this, within your body is the capability of an expression of love that models the Trinity and Mm -hmm. models the relationship man is supposed to have with God as well. And maybe one really cool aspect of that is (laughs) that you don't have to get rid of the body to then love to the fullness, like everything. Right. You know, you don't have to (laughs) stamp down your, your bodily experience to, to give love its fullest, truest expression. And if you did <clears throat> stamp it down, mm-hmm. you almost couldn't mm-hmm. give it its fullest expression. Yeah. Like, I was Because you are a body. Like, right. Yeah. I was listening to um, something last night that was talking about how even in discerning a vocation that will, you know, that you will undertake celibacy, even then you're not getting rid of those natural inclinations towards relationship, towards fatherhood or motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if you <laughs> are just, you know, trying to separate yourself from that part of yourself, then you're probably not discerning rightly or you're you're, yeah. you're probably not pursuing a vocation for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like no no part of your call to holiness involves cutting yourself off from something within your body or within kind of your the natural form and final cause of your body right yeah you your call to love the way that you love will involve that and yeah will be through that and that's really cool (laughs) yeah for sure Mm. for sure for sure Mm -hmm. so it seems turns a little bit to this concept of dualism. Dualism then leads to an understanding of well, you kind of get rid of the nature of things, but it leads to a desire to control and dominate nature. Mm-hmm. That if we are kind of separated from it and it has no meaning in itself, that mm-hmm. we, it is like kind of our tool to manipulate for our own uses and for our own good in some way. But he kind of gets at what the error there then is is one point on that which Mm -hmm. kind of struck me that you think that idea 
is around in a lot of things, especially of maybe of this era, of the 20th century, seeing nature, seeing I mean, material world is something just kind of to dominate and to kind of control for whatever we want. And so we, we still see it today. Yeah, again, because And like, like the process of knowing involves domination. Like, yeah. Tear like apart I, from I that. Have, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was just thinking of some of the things I was thinking of that are connected, like the abolition of man. Uh, C.S. Lewis speaks about in like part three, which is titled The Abolition of Man, that this we kind of lose ourselves when we see kind of nature as something other than ourselves. So um, maybe to quote part of it, but it seems like he is recognizing the same thing mm-hmm. as John Paul II did. So he says, we reduce things to mere nature in order that we may conquer them. We are always conquering nature because nature is the name for what we have to some extent conquered. Then he goes on to say that like nature then yeah, conquers ourselves, but said the real objection is that if man chooses to treat himself as raw material, raw material he will be, and not only raw material to be manipulated as he finally imagined by himself, but by the mere appetite that is mere nature in the person of his dehumanized conditioners. So he's also speaking about how manipulation of nature is really just people manipulating things to control the people and get power over people. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we recognize ourselves as matter then we get treated like matter. Mm-hmm. And that leads to really terrible things. Mm-hmm. Which also made me think of another guy of the 20th century is J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. One of the ways he broadly spoke about the Lord of the Rings was an allegory of power usurped for domination. Mm-hmm. And you see in a lot of the evil characters this using technology mm-hmm. to take power unnaturally or like, yeah, not in the, the proper channels. Like Saruman, who breeds men and orcs together to create a new soldier that mm-hmm. can run, you know, uh, in the daylight when the orcs can't, and it's strong and and so on, controllable, so they or can the, dominate. Like, orb or whatever. The Palantir. Yes. Yeah. But he's using mm-hmm. right, which is to propaganda tool to mm-hmm. uh, instill fear and and uh, control people. So you see a lot of, and the ring, of course, is a controlling thing. Mm-hmm. All this technology used mm-hmm. to unrightly take something to dominate it, to have power over it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a current example or a contemporary example of Pope Francis in Laudato Si talking about the technocratic paradigm, mm-hmm. uh, which is maybe a sim- similar way of talking about the same thing that we, technocratic paradigm, I think, is like when we look at something and all we really see is how it is useful to us. Mm-hmm. We don't see it for what it is. So like a cow, we look at a cow and we see beef and steak and not <laughs> a cow. Mm-hmm. And, and then we do it with other people. We kind of look at somebody like, ah, worker, mm-hmm. you can do X, Y, and Z for me. So like go into the factory and do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And just yeah, people in general, this uh, lens by which we see things only as they can be of use to us. This kind of manipulation of, things and re- mm. reduction of things to use mm-hmm. but yeah but even like then we see the reduction of the natural world but ultimately the human person introduce the human person to matter is to lead to great dangers mm. we've seen in right. the 20th century but right wouldn't it i mean kind of drawing back to imagining how difficult it would be to kind of build any sort of meaning based upon your like interior self or like 
just your truest self inside you, um, not taking into account like your body or anything like that. I mean, if you're imagining yourself like that, aren't you more susceptible to kind of those crazy emotional feelings or or those um, temptations that you usually would try and avoid or or understand yeah. what they are and so so I can see you know you're just kind of being overtaken then by this by wave after wave of of emotion or of just I want something so that must be the truest self so yeah that's what I'm going to do. And you're actually just kind of harming yourself. Yeah. So even more than just general confusion, there is definite harm that can come out of imagining yourself as moldable by whatever sort of conscious thought comes your way. (laughs) Right. Well, and there's a, maybe a strain in postmodern philosophy that, that, Kind of the emotive reasoning mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. deeper reasoning, mm-hmm. a more profound reasoning than normal kind of intellectual reasoning. Right. So not which even is like, not even your intellect is yeah. you know this basis by which you should judge the world, right. but like <laughs> the recognition of like your feelings. <laughs> right. It's just this deeper knowledge. That's how like, you should understand the world. <laughs> maybe it's this way, but I feel that it's this way, and mm-hmm. thus like that matters more. I guess maybe got one connection to like, maybe maybe this is quite off, but like if you're married and then you like find somebody else and you have deep emotion for them and there's mm-hmm. this like, no, that that is a more real thing than the vow that I made to this person. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, <laughs> and even, yeah, that could apply to a lot of things, but this almost anti-rationalism that's seems to be a little bit prevalent in postmodern stuff that I'm no expert in, but logic and, and facts don't have the same power as these deeply felt things. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something to, to think about there, but, but it gets pretty dangerous pretty fast right. because you're abstracting yourself from the world. <laughs> okay. So yes, Generally, purpose, theology of the body. Your body has meaning, that you are an enfleshed spirit and a, or what do they say, an embodied spirit and a spiritualized body. These things go together. But also, (laughs) he is addressing quite explicitly a document called Humanae Vitae, which you might have heard of. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I don't know came out 1968 Eight. 1968 yep. Pope Paul VI and was a little bit radical because most people assumed at the time whether by a leaking leaking of the majority uh, yeah, report yeah. or or just kind of the perhaps the perceived tone of Vatican II that the Catholic Church would oh, be open. Yes, be open to contraception. And a lot of leading theologians were fully expecting this to happen. Yes. And that's why they dissented when Right. Yeah. So it was very controversial. I don't think it's an understatement. No, nope, sure not. <laughs> so another reason 
another purpose behind theology of the body is St. John Paul II is showing here how Pope Paul VI was saying the same thing, essentially, was did have an understanding of the body coherent with what St. John Paul II is saying, and is, you know, a further affirmation of why Catholics don't use contraception. So while he doesn't really address it specifically until kind of the last section, the author of the introduction makes the point that it is kind of flowing throughout the entire document. Right, he said yes. it's really the, the impetus for it, mm-hmm. the leading idea behind it, mm-hmm. um, the goal of it all is in some way to articulate better, maybe more fully, the mm-hmm. argument of Humana Vitae. And so, it was interesting, he quotes from the majority report, which gives the reasons why <laughs> why the church is going to say that contraception is okay, because it's... Um, but he points out that, uh, so they list, like, new things in biology and infant mortality rate and, like, changes in sexuality and demographic, de- demography and yada, yada, yada. But then, but most of all, a better <laughs> grasp of the duty of man to humanize and bring to greater perfection for the life of man what is given in nature. Then he goes on to say, like, this is exactly the problem, yeah. is this control and manipulation of nature, the control of kind of the human body as if it's something separate from the person. Right. But it's not. You don't just have a body. You are a body. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he's showing that mm-hmm. this is the... The that kind of Cartesian error that Paul VI recognized and John Paul II really works to expose to be like why why it's bad mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't fully understand the human person. Right. Um, so I like the line in Veritatis Splendor, which is on page one hundred four, where he says. The person, including the body, is completely entrusted to himself, and it is in the unity of body and soul that the person is the subject of his own moral acts. The person, by the light of reason and the support of virtue, discovers in the body the anticipatory signs, the expression, and the promise of the gift of self. So once again, like, for the philosophy of the person discovering himself through actions to function you have to have this unity of body and soul you have Mm -hmm. to have this unity of myself and my body and all of those things work together to give of yourself Mm -hmm. you can't i mean it would be an incomplete understanding of love which i think is his huge response to the (laughs) society and culture here yeah if you think you can do that without your body as something that is a part of you yeah and has a nature like all that stuff Mm -hmm. right 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 so yeah i'm excited to see him articulate all this let's do it um (laughs) okay so then he looks at the structure yes and we can the structure go through this very briefly right (laughs) i don't think we need to dive too deep into this he kind of lays out a few of the ways different people have kind of structured it and Mm -hmm. i 
recognize as I was trying to figure out what could be our uh, next section to read. And John Paul II, it seems, just chunked up his book into like 15 minute, 10 minute, whatever it is, sections. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's, it's not, they're not clean breaks. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at the, uh, the addresses. Oh, no. So, so this is actually going to be really hard to, like, figure out right. when to stop. When is a natural stopping point? Right, because if, if you <laughs> oh, look no. at the outline, uh-huh. you know, it looks like like a, a change in the outline from, like, one section to another can happen in the middle of an audience. So, you like, you should read half of that audience to, like, capture this section and then start. So so prepare yourselves so, <laughs> for so it's gonna be perhaps a very awkward um, hence, reading structure right. here. Hence the uh, confusion about how to structure it. Yeah. Because it's... So some people look back at that original work and John Paul II break that, broke that down mm-hmm. into lots of little sections, which makes it helpful. And I think that's what our... If I remember right, what... Yeah, our book is... Our book is... Specifically drawing from his own that. titles and subtitles. Yeah, because if you take it just from the audiences, you got to recognize the audiences are not cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Like, the topics, they, they flow... Um, like a stream that is just chopped up arbitrarily. But, yeah, I don't think it's worth. <laughs> so maybe there's the two big sections. Yes. Part one and part two. So I think part one, we are, like we talked about, going directly to the words of Christ himself. Um, so I think most of these come from his Sermon on the Mount, where he kind of, or or at least the maybe the first one is when he's kind of questioned about... Moses and what they and Moses allowed divorce and then Jesus is like but from the beginning (laughs) so it goes back to Genesis but um we're looking at three different occasions upon which Jesus Christ addressed marriage or love and one goes back to the original purpose of marriage or perhaps the intended vision of marriage yeah what was it before the fall Mm mm-hmm the second one is, now that we are fallen, <laughs> what is kind of the call to love look like in a fallen world? And then finally, the resurrection. Well, but even, yeah, and even, I think, well, maybe the resurrection, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of also, like, what does Christ bring to the, I think, the incarnation? Mm-hmm. Okay, I yeah. Think. But yeah, maybe yeah. that is more in the resurrection spot. I mean, definitely, because that's that's the point where he's like, you have heard it say, but I say. Yes. So, so definitely... Yeah, what, what is the call to holiness in love look like? And then finally, the resurrection, kind of like what is the future redemption of the body and yeah. marriage look like? Um, which I think we're going to go a little bit then into for those who are practicing celibacy for the kingdom of God. <laughs> So that's kind of part one, where you're looking specifically at the words of Christ. But then part two... Is the... <laughs> yeah. Um, focus on the sacrament of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so looking at... Um, he'll look at Ephesians 5. And he'll look at Song of Songs. He'll look at Tobit. And then ends with that look at that you maybe specific look at humani vitae mm. and a more yeah specific addressing of mm-hmm. what it what it's saying and how to yeah how to live marriage out in that way i guess mm. well so, yeah because i don't think i explained it well enough i like a couple lines here about humani vitae 
John Paul II does not view the teaching of Humanae Vitae simply as a particular moral prohibition, but as a precious inheritance from the creator that is closely connected with fostering life as a whole. And then kind of talks about how um, that like the teaching of the church is founded upon like something that is true, even if we don't want it to be true. <laughs> so you can't just decide that this is not true and expect everything to go well. So, so that's also kind of the point. But yeah. So anyway, you want to be Yes. 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 Yeah. So it's not like JP two is just kind of propping up Pope John or Pope Paul the teaching because he wants this to, you know, just flow nicely and seem like the church has no qualms about this. Yeah. Uh, he is affirming this as something that Pope Paul VI didn't give us himself. Like, he is going back to the God's plan for love itself. And Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Right. This is... So we'll kind of say here at the end of the introduction that what John Paul is proposing here is a gospel of the body, theology of the body, like as in the good news of mm-hmm. the body, which is, yeah, from Revelation. Mm-hmm. It was revealed in the beginning, and Christ reveals it even more. Mm-hmm. He gives it a proper and a proper, even great, great destiny. We say here, at the very first thing he says about the structure, the purpose, well, as he's saying, he, his argument, the purpose <laughs> of TOB as a whole, is to defend the spousal meaning of the body against the alienation between person and body mm-hmm. in the Cartesian vision of nature. There you go. So it was important why we tried to break down all that philosophy for you last time. Yes. Probably not well, but we tried. But we tried. <laughs> and, uh... and an affirmation that if you are undertaking theology of the body, it is a good idea to read the introduction and to kind of weed through some of that difficult philosophy because say John Paul II is not writing this in a vacuum. He yeah. is specifically responding to this these philosophical trends that have compounded and ended up in this worldview that he would not be doing his duty if he did not address and try to show what God has given us instead of this. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> For sure. He'll also then say the uh, main point of the theology of the body is rereading the language of the body in the truth. The main argument of it is to reread the body. The language of the body in the truth. This is true, not just the teaching of John Paul II or mm-hmm. something nice we're saying. Or the church defend. just trying to make everybody angry yeah. purposefully. <laughs> yeah. Making life hard. So, any final thoughts? Because I have one, maybe. Oh no, I'm just, I'm just pumped. I'm hyped. Oh, she's hyped. I am, I am so ready for this. This is, this is really exciting. Yes. But, but um, yours is probably going to be much better. So well, I don't know. This is just, you know, taking it from <clears throat> Waldstein again. That uh, one might well summarize John Paul II's judgment about the sec- sexual revolution in this way: the sexual revolution does not sufficiently appreciate the value and beauty of sex. Mm-hmm. deprives sex of its depth by detaching it from the spousal meaning of the body. It favors the sexual lie in which the language of radical gift is overlaid by the contrary language of individual autonomy and the use of persons for pleasure. Again, yeah. So maybe maybe he's answering the philosophers, sure. 
But he's also answering like a very cultural thing that of course applies to people's lives mm -hmm. because the sexual revolution has thrown things into a, a tizzy right. and people are confused. Mm -hmm. They're confused about love and they're confused about what it means to be embodied. They're confused about relationships and him as a preeminent pastor, mm -hmm. a guy who truly cares for people's souls and what people are going through and right. how do we live with these great things that God has given us. Mm -hmm. He wants to pastor the world as mm -hmm. the Pope to lead people out of confusion and the misery that it can cause because the sexual revolution has caused a lot of misery. Mm -hmm. I think this is, yeah, yes, an answer to like philosophical things, but also an answer to like the suffering of people and the desire that people have to love well and to live well. And so he's like, here's the gospel. Mm -hmm here it is in this maybe new way that hopefully you can grasp and understand and leads to yeah maybe even faith leading to union with god it's very personalistic in that way yeah that yeah that you know here is here's the grand standard and theological basis of this but at its heart i know that this confirms with the human individual human experience as well that these aren't you know standards that will cause suffering like no you know just the work that he did with all those individual couples and and the the suffering that surely he has seen within broader society person to person this is the fullness that i want to give you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i think maybe yeah maybe that's a good lens with which to see it do you Sweet. have an ending quote to take us out on? I don't. Okay. <laughs> you didn't prepare that? No, dang. <laughs> I told you specifically. No. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I guess I don't have a good final quote, but we can say that we'll be reading for next time. If you want to read along with us, has to read the first 12 audiences plus the beginning of 13 <laughs> to capture kind of the first four sections of chapter one that are they're kind of given in this in this translation this breakdown so we're going to read just into audience 13 right so if you have the same book as us that would be to page 180 or one 178 178 sorry yeah yes okay yep so yeah, the remember the breakdown. It's a little weird because you know he's just kind of it's kind splitting of these up as you know what he can say in kind of ten to fifteen minutes. So it's going to be a little strange, but this will be our first attempt here. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we are reading ourselves to rootedness. We are. Boom. So uh, here we go. We've We're arrived. Excited. We're doing it. We're jumping yeah. in. Join us next time when we actually are interacting with the text of Theology of the Body itself. It's going to be epic. We're going to have so many epic. deep, deep, profound thoughts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From reflecting on this text. So, yep. It'll be great. And we'll see you then. <laughs>